And we're back with episode number 24 of the Insignificant Others podcast. This is Brett Featherston. And I am Rob Flint. And our guest on this podcast is the chairman of Interstate Batteries, Norm Miller. And he's also an author and the founder of several different organizations of Faith Base. Great podcast, Rob. No, there's there's no doubt. Norm is an incredible man. His story is really inspiring. What he's accomplished in business and then um, in his own personal life and his involvement in, in a lot of faith-based organizations. And, and, I mean, I am second. I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't know about that? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that are successful in business. There's a lot of people that have a strong faith. To marry those two together is kind of rare. And he's definitely walked the walk. And successful in the business of sports with his involvement with um, uh, NASCAR and his relationship Joe with Racing. Joe Gibbs yeah. Racing. It really is incredible. The one thing that really kind of struck me is just, you know, Norm just turned 80. Yep. And, and just in listening to him talk about how he got started working at Interstate Batteries and and knowing where they are today as a company, they, what, generate $1.7 billion with a B in revenue. And I don't know exactly how many employees they have, but, but the amount of miles this man has traveled. Oh, and, yeah. And, and not only that, the, the, the amount of people who he has met yeah, in business and and outside of business, I can't I can't even imagine. He's lived a, a, a an incredible life, um, and so it was it was awesome to have him on as a guest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we had a little uh, technical difficulties as we got started here, but I don't think it's going to come through too bad. But uh, Norm is a very charming, great storyteller, and so much fun to be around. I really hope you enjoy the podcast. Yes. All right, we're back with another episode of the Insignificant Others podcast. I'm Brett Featherston. And I'm Rob Flint. How are you doing, Rob? Doing well, doing well. Nice uh, view of the uh, I-75 corridor from our guest's office. Yeah, we're sitting in the headquarters of Interstate Batteries with our guest, Norm Miller. Norm is the chairman of Interstate Batteries. He's an author. He's the founder of several different organizations, such as I am second, race across America, et cetera, et cetera. Norm, welcome to the podcast. We're really thank excited you, to have thank you. Thank you. Fun to be here. So Norm, we were we were looking at your resume, if you will, and, and you 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 seem like a classic underachiever. Have you ever been accused of that? Well, not really. <laughs> I will go to bat. <laughs> so I thought we you've got a very interesting story and I want to get to a lot of things that you've done. Uh, over the last uh, several years because there's a lot of philanthropic things you've done that are that are extremely interesting and we'll get to those but let's go, kind of go back to the beginning how did you start working for interstate batteries to begin with yeah i mean yeah it's kind of a kind of a weird deal i didn't interview out of college because my dad had a, uh, a he had sold his business and he was looking for one and so we'd run into some deal out of chicago and so we were going to go do it he and i and then it fell through so I left college after six years on a four-year program and uh, went down to, like went back. yeah, it was fun. That's why I was there. But I went to Galveston, back to Galveston where I was from, and started selling encyclopedias door to door. And he was raised in Dallas. Actually, I mean, think of that. He was back in the, you know, 19 earlys. I think he was born in 03 or something. Well, anyway, he went to a, a Shriners Convention in Amarillo, ran into a guy, and he had operated a service station garage for 
like 20 years, and he ran into this guy because he'd been offered a job to sell batteries for a company here out of Dallas. And so he wanted to know if the guy knew anything about him. And he said, no, I don't know, but I know a guy that's starting a battery business. He's in my Sunday school class, and he's an honest guy, and he'd tell you the truth. So Dad came back from Amarillo to Dallas, met with John Searcy, who ended up being the founder of Interstate Battery. And he founded it at that time? Yeah, that was 91. Um, yeah. Let me get this right. Yeah, 91. No, what am I saying, 91? It was 62. 1962. And they started the business. The Interstate had started in, 90, in 61. Okay. So Dad came back through here. They were barely getting going. And uh, so he called me down in Galveston selling encyclopedias door to door. And I came back up here and met with him. And so we took off, went to Memphis, Tennessee, and opened an interstate battery distributorship in July 1962. I remember driving the truck across the bridge in, uh, in Mississippi, the Mississippi River. And it's funny how the whole trip, that's about all I remember. But I remember seeing that river and Memphis on the other side. And I thought, well, here's a new deal, you know, and so I was over there two years, a little so, over two so years. So when you got there in Memphis, you set up the company there in yeah. Memphis? Yeah, we went from started. scratch, yeah. Okay. I, I remember I started July 5th, 1962. I took, drove a battery truck out of Memphis going south down Highway 61, and the first county in Mississippi is Tunica County, Mississippi. I've been to Tunica. Well, you've been to that might be a song title. <laughs> but anyway, I've been to Tunica. I went to Tunica, first county, and that was when President Johnson declared war on poverty. Yeah. And Tunica County was listed as the number, number one. one poverty county in America. Wow. It was and before that's the where, casinos. And that's where I go start selling batteries. <laughs> There so at, at that time you're selling to garages and yeah, the, gas uh, stations? Back then you just went down the street. We didn't you know, make interviews. and We just went down the street and looked for any place that sold batteries and just went in cold turkey and started trying to sell You them. had batteries on the truck? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then say, hey, how many do you need? Yeah, well, we, we, see, one of the really important things in, in interstate history is consignment because we placed the batteries on consignment and the people only paid us for what they sold when we came back. Okay. And, uh, but it was really interesting because Mr. Searcy or John tried to borrow money at the bank and they wouldn't loan them. They wouldn't loan him on consignment inventory. Huh. And then well, what we found out was we lost less money than anybody on 30-day credit because we'd done 30-day <laughs> credit too. But at least on this way, if you went by and checked the inventory, if they only had two batteries, you know, they knew that they had never paid you anything anyway. Right. And so they all they had to do was pay you for the two batteries. They didn't have to buy or pay them or have 90-day credit and all that jazz. And so, but we actually lost less money on consignment than on deals that we tried to do credit. Interesting. So yeah. how did it go from, in your career, how did you get back to Dallas then? Well, I went, I stayed there two and a half years and then uh, Mr. Searcy came over and asked my dad if uh, talked to him about me coming over here and joining them. And my older brother and younger brother had come to Memphis, and so they were involved in the business. And so he said, you know, hey, fine, if it's a good deal for him, good deal for you, we'll, uh, we'll do it. And so he gave John my blessing. I came over here and... Uh, so I started traveling the United States 
at that at the time I came over here, I think we had about 30, 35 distributors or so. And so I started. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, when you no opened up the, the distributorship in Memphis, how many were there at that time? Just a oh, couple? Maybe, I don't know, maybe five or seven five. or something, yeah. So it grew really quickly yeah. in that time frame. Yeah, two and a half years. Well, they had a guy on the street. They had a, he had a partner. John had a partner that was, he was out soliciting distributors, almost like we were selling batteries. You mm -hmm. just trying to find some. Like there was one story I thought was great. He pulled into a uh, service station in Pennsylvania, two Dutch brothers. And in six hours later, he went out of there with a distributorship. <laughs> he pulled in to get gas. <laughs> yeah, so he was a good guy. So uh, you you you've you've been quoted as saying that <clears throat> John Searcy is is a mentor, or was oh, a mentor yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. Can you can you explain that relationship and what about him that you learned and and what he inspired in you and? Yeah, well, one thing he he, he had a great uh, he had a, a great do unto others attitude he, he he his attitude was to go the extra mile and uh, and I saw that ev in evidence in cases like an example like a guy in, I think it was Iowa but I may be wrong but anyway his, his truck burned up no insurance and uh, and we were struggling we didn't make any money for years I mean not we're kidding because we had a real a small margin and uh, but he gave the guy seven thousand bucks you know, because he just couldn't keep going, yeah. yeah. And he he was smart like that. I mean, you know, because you could say that he was benevolent, which he was, but also he kept the guy there. The guy didn't go broke. You know, we yeah. could go help him grow. So, yeah. But he had a real real good attitude about doing to others. So one of the the really cool and unique things about Interstate Batteries is that it is built on Christian biblical principles. And it's part of your mission statement and everything, your purpose. Did Mr. Searcy start that, or was that something that you did later? He re he really started it in a, a maybe I would say maybe a little more limited way, but he used to read every morning. I remember he read a scripture in, uh, I think it's in Proverbs, and it says, um, "Let me try to think this, y'all. My mind's leaving me." Uh, Gosh, I can't remember it, y'all. But it's like, do all that you can unto others, and your way will be taken care of, in essence. And uh, worry more about how you treat others than how. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be taken care of. yeah. Yeah, and he. Uh, I mean, and I saw, you know, evidence a lot of that. Probably, maybe not realizing it now, but probably I was a recipient of <laughs> a lot of that. So, but he set the tone for it, and then. Uh, when I took over in I took over 1978, and uh, and it was so funny. I'd become a Christian in '74, and so I was thinking, you know, I, the thing it is, I, I got uh, there's a ministry called Search Ministries, which I was I met weekly with these people, and I was quote as they say in Christendom discipled, and and it was uh, you know evident that I was supposed to live a life. Uh, trying to honor God and the seven days a week it wasn't just you know like Sunday morning and Wednesday right, night or right. some kind of jazz like that because I I went on and learned and I thought you know hey this is not this is not parceled out in time and so I, I took over and my brother was but the second guy behind me Tommy and he was my backup guy VP and then we had another guy Gene Wooldridge 
And so I told him, I said, you know, hey, this thing's 24-7. So, uh, you know, we might, if we're going to try to do this, we might lose the business. You know, we might could lose employees. We might could lose customers. Maybe we get sued. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I, I'll never forget, I said, we need to pray about this. And so we did, and then we came in, came across a scripture, and uh, and it, in, I can't remember now, y'all, but I think it's in Matthew. But it says, in essence, it says, if you're going to fear, fear him who can do something to you after you're dead. <laughs> and so, so I said, oh, wait a minute, we're going to have another meeting yeah. <laughs> after this deal. So we decided that we would try to, you know, run it in a Christian manner, honor God, follow the Bible, but at the same time we were going to pray that we'd be winsome, we wouldn't be offensive, that we would listen to people and uh, be corrective if we're, you know, out of base. And so that's how we went. And uh, we, so we actually made that decision back in 78. So when you took over, that's when you became CEO yeah. of the company? Yeah. One of the first things you did. Yeah, because we all of a sudden we thought, wait a minute, we're responsible for this thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, real quick, going back, I mean, when you, I mean, I'm sure you traveled all over during those early years with oh, Interstate, yeah. and I'm, you know, I'm sure you've got lots of great stories. And not only that, you probably met many fantastic people along the way. But what, what was the watershed moment in the company's history where you knew that we're going to make it? This is this is going to be a going concern that's going to be around for several mm-hmm. years if if we do our jobs right. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I'm trying to remember back that we didn't, uh, wow, let me get my head going back to, to the 60s. But we we made a million dollars, I think. Maybe not. Made the, anyway, the first time we ever made a profit was like in uh, 69 maybe. But anyway, I think we made we made a profit, and uh, and then the next year we 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 didn't we made it. And then after that, it was like seventy one or something. We started actually being profitable. But back in those days, we worked uh, five and a half days a week. We were worked, always worked. We worked Saturday half a day plus whatever, and uh, and we also you know we also traveled a whole bunch. We were gone a lot, and. Uh, Basically, that was, I think it would, would have been like uh, 69 or 70. So we, and, we uh, made, you know, we, uh, we're now we're profitable. Yeah. But <clears throat> now this was no, no, you know, we had no company cars. We had no, you know, like the fringes. I don't even remember that if we had insurance. You wow. know, but, it, but we actually turned a profit. So but I, I remember the thing that was interesting. We turned a profit in one year, then a year later we didn't. And then we next year we did again, and then we were able to, go on you know on a normal basis so so how many companies could you know exist and thrive of going for almost a decade without making money in today's yeah. environment yeah. That's, almost, that's definitely a long-term uh, outlook on 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 a company well you know we, we did thank God we had credit you know the we had a battery company that wanted us to grow and uh, and so they would extend us credit and so we were operating sometimes on their credit you know we're in the in the red and uh, anyway, well, and it's thriving now. What is it about? Uh, just shy of a two billion dollar company now. Yeah, somewhere in there. We I think it's one point seven or eight or something. I, I think I think you can round. See, batteries. I'll tell you one <laughs> thing about the our you know, like our dollar volume. It depends on the lead market. 
Because, see, ha half a battery is lead. So half of our product is a, what do you call it? it rare earth mineral or something? Yeah, it's, it's a, a, oh, it's a come commodity. On, when it trades, commodity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. half our battery is commodity. So lead prices can go down, and so batteries go down. Right. And, or, and then we also, they'll, so our volume will go down. So in the dollar volume, like most people keep track of it for the Wall Street, uh, we could have a great big year, but if lead went up, you know, $50 a, a ton or something, well, then we'd pay more for the battery. And uh, and, we, and one of the great things, too, about that really benefited Interstate and John Searcy, again, was the driving force in this, is that we, the, we always have picked up junk batteries. So every time we sold a battery, we made every possible effort to get another battery. So we were we were taking junk batteries off the street and resmelting them. So we've been green for fifty years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, we have we we recycle more batteries than we sell. That's wow. awesome. Have been for years. Every for every battery sold, like last year, we sold over eighteen million batteries. Well, we we uh, recycled twenty three million. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, because yeah, we pick them up and. Uh, whenever we can to get them extra it helps us offset costs but at the same time we're getting batteries back out there and recycled and led back in the flow you were eco-friendly before it was cool before yeah. people even thought about it yeah so um i'm curious how would you describe because i think it's unique the, the culture at interstate batteries because i think definitely what you guys did in 78 when you took over was very instrumental in that but i, I think this company has kind of a different culture than most for-profit organizations. Can you describe kind of the... Well, you know, that's difficult because I've been in it. So I haven't really experienced the outside much. Uh, but I will tell you, back in the day, especially when I was... See, I haven't been in day-to-day -day for, you know, 15 years or whatever. But when I was in the day-to-day, -day, we had people leave. And then I had them come back and tell me they had no idea what it was like out there. And, uh, and the thing that we tried to strive for was to treat people the way you want to be treated. And we also told them that if we didn't, tell us. Right. And we'll try to correct it, or we'll tell you we don't agree with you. But, you know, don't carry a burden, and, and we'll try to operate that way. Well, that really, when you really try to do that, people know it. Mm -hmm. And when they know it, they're happy, but if they if they start here, you know they they this is just normal. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had a building over off of Forest and and LBJ, and we had people tell us we were on the second floor, and we had people tell us that they said, you know, what's the difference here? What's different? Because we were rented underneath, people rented underneath, mm -hmm. and I've had people in this elevator in this building, I've had them tell me that when we get on the elevator. Let's say, oh, you must be from Interstate, you're smiling. <laughs> now, that's, that's a true statement. And, uh, and so it's, you know, we are, we try to be, you know, pretty happy and, you know, treat people the way we want to be treated. And I understand now we've got, you know, hundreds of employees, and so I'm sure it's not perfect at all. But it is our goal, and we tell you, if you show us how we're wrong, we'll try to correct it. And you have a chaplain's office in the organization, right? Yeah, we've had a chaplain's deal for, I don't know, I lose track of the years, but probably 30. 
Yeah. That was really interesting because there, I ran across a guy that has a ministry that uh, is kind of like rent a chaplain. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's funny, but it is the truth. And so you have a lot of pastors and all that have retired or whatever, and so companies don't want to pull in, put in full uh, uh, chaplains' offices, so they'll use them one day a week or whatever. Well, what was funny, I hooked up with them. And then it went about a few months and everything, and so we, we lost a guy. I forget what happened. And then we so I got another one, you know, like full-time guy. Uh, no, part-time. Yeah, part-time guy, and then something else happened. And so I thought, well, gosh, this isn't going to work. And so that's when I went into hiring uh, full-time. I'll be darned. Yeah, and then I, so it, uh, some deal, I ran into the fellow that founded the pastors part-time. Yeah. And he told me that we were the only ones that it didn't stay with. <laughs> and I thought, how funny, because we ended up with our own. Well, you're full-time. And, and what, what's the role of the, uh, the chaplain here in the organization? Like I said, I haven't been involved in, you know, for 15 years as far as day-to-day. But if you think about people in a business and say they're involved in a church, and if they have problems of some sort, sometimes they don't want to share them with their pastor because maybe they're the deacon right? or whatever. You know, there's just that natural human thing. Or if they maybe they have marital troubles. Well, so we have a chaplain, and we try to, we have Bible studies like at lunch. We have a try to off time, so we try to do it where that we're not treating one person different than the other. And so... Uh, but we have the chaplain deal, then they discuss. I know that our chaplain has gone to the hospital and dealt with people that were in hospital. We've done marriages. We've done so it's pastoral care. Another outlet, another yeah. opportunity yeah. to have yeah. meaningful yeah. conversations and with then, someone. Exactly. So it's a, just it's kind of a service, and also that we're involved in, you know, trying to help ministries and or situations that occur so when i was running the business day to day so i had a day-to-day business and people always want to talk to me then if you're trying to help in contributions or something they want to talk to you and so i set it up to where that it could go through the chaplain so one i'm sorry i I wasn't point man all the time right right so one thing that struck me as i was looking at your company kind of outsiders you looking in that that you know based on your your company's purpose and and, and values um, you know there are companies out there a lot of companies unfortunately who will preach to employees we've got to treat the customer you know like royalty but then they'll treat their employees not so well so I my, my thought was that it appears that you guys treat your employees like you would your customer and so that's an alignment um, and I, you know, you, the core values, Brett. We were talking about this outside, but it's it's all over the place, right? You can't you can't escape them. Um, and actually, Holly was uh, someone who told us that there's the, the the eighth core value that you get to fill in. Um, every employee fills in on their own. You know, it could be, you know, I value college football, or you know, you, you said humor. <laughs> um, others may so. The, uh, actually, the, the the unofficial eighth core value, is, I, I was told, is food. Apparently, because I'll, I'll drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, but it, but, I mean, it but kinda... see, I will tell you this. Remember this: 
that we're it's still a human deal yeah and so you know we we set goals and we strive but we fail sometimes and you know we try to correct it and and then again that becomes opinion right you know you're you're uh, you're satisfied with your reconciliation maybe they're not yeah and uh, i had uh, i've had employees that i fired that came back on me you know and said how can you do that you know how is that you're said you're a christian and you're going to do this and you know i you know hey we had criteria we had the things to do we have other people doing the work you weren't and i've had them thank me later yeah I've actually had them call me and thank me later. Now, not, you know, maybe you wouldn't get them on one hand. I mean, you'd get them all on one hand. Yeah. But the point is that has happened. That's great. So, and in, in, I think it's uh, definitely part of your story is the success you've had with interstate batteries and the success you've had in business. But I'm going to skip past that a little bit because I think one of the things that's really impressive is you didn't stop there with just having commercial success in, in, in business, you've used that to do a lot of other things. Um, so one of the, the topics is you founded a group called I Am Second. Can you tell us a story of that and how that got started? Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty wild one. I, what's funny, I, uh, I've told it a few times so it may sound a little candid, canned, but anyway, the key thing, uh, was that I was, I can't even remember if I was praying or I was doing, you know, like a, a quiet Bible time or something. But I remember that this scripture came into my mind. It says, you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. In all the corners I mean, of the Judea, earth. Samaria and all parts of the earth. And so I, I actually thought, well, well I've, been a, I've been a pretty good witness in my Jerusalem. I took Dallas, you know, North Texas, my Jerusalem. I thought, you know, I've been involved with Young Life and FCA and Athletes in Action, Jesus Film, Campus Crusade, Church. So I thought I've been a pretty good witness. And uh, then the next thought came in my mind said, well, have you gone for broke? And I thought, no, we're gone for broke. Well, no, I've done pretty good. And uh, so the next thought came in my mind, well, do you do you need to go for broke? Does Dallas have need more people to tell them about Christ? And I thought, well, I guess they do, yeah. I mean, I mean a lot of pe people won't set foot in a church. And uh, and said, so, well, then the next thought was, well, can you do it? So I thought, well, I mean, I could do it. I guess I could do it. And then they said, well, then do it. In my brain, this is this yeah. conversation. <laughs> so it was so funny. So I said, well, okay, I'll do it. And then the next thought, I never will forget, the next thought was, if I did it, <laughs> if, was I, yeah, I will, if, if I did it, what would it look like? So I thought, well, what would I do if I was going to sell more batteries? Because I've got warehouses and people and trucks. And so I thought, well, doubt, you know, we got churches and ministries and whatever. So I said, well, I'd probably advertise. So I thought, well, you know, I'd, I'd advertise. And so I'm involved with a ministry called E3 Partners. And they had told me about a guy they just hired that was a, a advertising executive out of Chicago, and my memory is that he had had the, you know, one of the national accounts had been like BMW, and so I thought, well, I'll call them and I'll see what they'd say, you know, and I called them, and so they were really excited, and uh, because their ministry had been primarily outside the United States, totally outside, but they had been praying. 
to have a national impact to be because people even told him why don't you do something here and uh, so anyway I met with them and you'll love this because they came up first I told them about it we had a meeting then they said we'll come back and talk with you so they came back and and they gave me they said we, we have a great campaign we think we ought to, ought to be I'm second and I said I'm second what I said whatever what do you mean I'm second there's a Christian camp in Missouri and their their tagline is I'm third and my kids went, everybody. So I said, what are you talking about? you got to be. I remember that from Roger Staubach had a book called I Am Third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was, uh, so I said, yeah, forget all that jazz. Just, you know, do the thing. And they said, no, we'll do it. And, and uh, so we went with them. They just really kind of ignored me. And, uh, but we started the thing and, uh, I mean, just shocking. How it, how it, it was, totally was received yeah. and how it we started, blew up. I mean, the whole idea was in April. And so we came up with I'm second. So we're going to do with these I'm second personality testimony things. And you started so, off with local celebrities, if, if I'm not mistaken, correct or no? Because I know that like Jason Witten and yeah, that was later. Though. That was la- that was later yeah, the on. The first guys, first guys we dealt with were uh, oh shoot, Josh Hamilton. Yeah, I remember Josh yeah. Hamilton. He was, he was yeah. local. But you know what was funny? You know where he came from? He came from. I got to read these because I forgot them. Stephen Baldwin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephen Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin was a big Baldwin, baseball Baldwin friend, yeah. and he knew Josh. So we got Stephen Baldwin from somebody in Arizona, and then he gave us Josh Hamilton. Right, and your we backyard. Got Josh Hamilton, so we yeah. went like that. So that was, uh, we started out all that jazz in April, and then we ended up going public uh, in December of 08, and... In 60 days, we were in 50 countries. It's amazing. That is the incredible. weirdest thing, you know, you'd have ever thought. And uh, and for the most part, it was a completely digital campaign, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, no, well, in the first part, no, we, we did here. What's funny, we only advertised in Dallas. Yeah. But we did the whole deal. We did television. We did radio. We did bus backs. And we, what we were so fortunate was that was the the beginning of the economic downfall yeah and so we started december 3rd in 08 and the 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 banks and the car dealers somebody else whoever else anyway they backed off their advertising so you got so we got really good prices yeah wow so we really got some excellent buys and uh and the thing just took off you know viral and uh, I mean, it's amazing. Where I, I, I'll tell you a really good story. We had uh, right after we started, within like 60 days, some coach called us. I don't remember where it was from. I want to say Indiana, but anyway, he said that uh, he, he had a player die on his football team, and it just rocked. His whole, he was the coach somewhere in high school. And uh, and so he didn't know what to do. He was going to have to dress the student body. And he didn't know what to do. And he ended up using it. He found out about I'm Second somehow and used it. And he was told me how it, told us how it, you know, Helped was him. just, a, yeah, it replaced. It just went over really good. And, uh, but we've had all kinds of stories like well, that. The, the, and, and so I am second. I am second.com. You go to the website and you can hear everybody, the, the people on there. You can hear their testimonies about 
for people like Josh Hamilton, the challenges he went through with drug and alcohol abuse, but how his faith helped bring him out of that. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it isn't that he hadn't struggled, you know, yeah. like, but the, the whole point, too, there's just so many. Yeah. Like the one, this gal, uh, Kathy Lee Gifford, she, she just blew us away on the numbers within the last, I don't know, maybe 90 days or something. I can't remember. But, uh, and we had those, uh, the couple from Waco. That's, yeah, uh, the house, you know, the house uh, building. Oh, yeah. House, yeah, I forgot yeah, their names. They've been great. And, I mean, they've had a great response. And, and uh, just a whole bunch of them, you know, Joe Gibbs and uh, what's our, our uh, I know his name, but I can't remember anything anymore. Cowboy tight, tight end. Jason, Jason Witten. Witten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we've had them. We had the two, the Austin quarterback for UT and the quarterback Bradford from Oklahoma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had them McCoy. come on yeah. at the time they were going to play each other. Yeah, so that was, we got great response. So you think the there. power is just, just, you know, people like me and Brett, normal, everyday people, um, you know, everybody kind of has their, their own struggles and there's their own path that they take, you know, in terms of their faith. But for people to see, others who are more notable um, come out and share their testimony that it's it's like wow I never I never knew for example that um, you know Kathy Lee Gibbard you know was uh, a lady of faith for example and yeah. so that makes it a little bit more well if she can do it and she can kind of you know deal with what she's dealing with by by t- turning to her faith and I can as well it's kind of that identity yeah yeah, you know, that always helps. But you know something, I read a scripture one time, and it says, I think it's in Genesis, but it said where God is not a respecter of reputation, but man is. I actually thought then, when I said, but we're not. We are. We are. And so that's, that's where I think you get your draw, is that when people have a, some kind of awe about them, people are more apt to listen to them. And... Uh, it's just kind of the way it yeah. is. Yeah. So you mentioned Joe Gibbs, and, and normally I prefer not to talk about Washington Redskins, but we'll, we'll make an exception <laughs> in this case. <laughs> so you and Joe have had a long relationship. How did you get to know Joe? Just, uh, it's real funny. Though, I may say real funny. I met him at, when he came down here to speak one time at the Cotton Bowl has a, they have a January 1st, a Cotton Bowl. Mm-hmm. They have a prayer breakfast. And he spoke at it, and somehow I got invited the morning before, and 10 of us were just in this room. I don't even know how I got there for breakfast. And, uh, but he didn't even remember it when I met him again for this deal. But, of course, I remembered it. And, uh, so, but anyway, we were in NASCAR, but we were on a real limited basis, and he didn't know it. And, and you so, were advertising in NASCAR. Uh, yeah, no, we were running. You had a we team. Were running, we were running a car now and then, but okay. in lower level and whatever. Yeah. But we'd run enough of it to know we needed to be in it. And so he decided he was going to try to get NASCAR. So he asked the chaplain or a chaplain guy in NASCAR when he was nosing around about it if he knew anybody to be a good sponsor. Well, he didn't know that we were actually running a few races. And so he called down here and uh, we set up an appointment and so that's how I met him we came down here and then so we you know negotiated and all and, and uh, ended up you know together in 92 yeah it's like one of the longest yeah. running yeah. 
sponsorships of a car or yeah, a team. Yeah, we've been. Of course, we're not years. the we're not the lead sponsor now. M and M is the lead sponsor, but we run we run six races. I think we run the six uh, cup races, which is the top level, and then we run two or three in the lower level, so next level, second level. What? I have two questions. What did it do from a from a company and brand recognition standpoint? Did it just go through the roof as a result of your partnership? Well, you know, it's it's real hard to evaluate all that. But the thing I will tell you that if you go back on the history of NASCAR and you go back to when Joe Gibbs came in, there was a there was a noticed markup from my standpoint because what happened was. In my opinion, he brought a lot of media to NASCAR that they did not have before. And it was, talk about a blessing, he wins the Super Bowl. Two weeks later, we're in Daytona for his first race. Yeah. Yeah. And so the media, so much media came that hardly ever went before. And then they found out, hey, we can go to Florida in February. <laughs> so so the, it was, I think it followed on. But if you if you look at the... NASCAR numbers, you'll see how it went up like that for 10 years. And it started right in there. Now, you did say something that I thought was funny. There was an article that appeared, I think, in the Dallas Morning News, and you were talking about the benefits of that partnership with not only Joe Gibbs, but this NASCAR and advertising. And I'm going to quote you. You said that in reference to somebody driving one of your cars getting into a wreck, he says, tell the driver if he gets in any more wrecks to take his time getting out of the car. <laughs> I thought that was, I thought well, that was did, great. Well, I got that, see, from the first, first race we ran was the Daytona 500. And that was in January 93. I think that's right. It might have been 92. But anyway, uh, we, we didn't qualify well. And so we are 35th to start the race. <laughs> and then here we're running along, man, and before you know it, we're up to fifth. And we're running fifth in the Daytona 500, our first race, and then something happened up front, and then it hit smoke, and Dale Jarrett was our driver, and he drove into there and wrecked, and we were out. So we went to the, they take, when, they, when you have a wreck and all, you take the car to the trailer, mm -hmm. and uh, which they could maybe do some work on it or something. So they went over there. Well, the, the interviewing track MC guys followed it. And so I'm standing over there, and they're interviewing Joe, and they're interviewing the driver. They even turned around and gave the microphone to me. <laughs> and, so, and so I'm thinking, hey. So that's what I told Joe. It's so funny. I'll never forget, because when Joe gets mad, his he, upper lip disappears. <laughs> And he, uh, I told him, I said, Joe, I said, this is not too bad. You know, we get all this TV coverage and everything. It was his first race, his cars totaled. And, uh, and so. <laughs> For I, an advertiser, you're going, hey, this is wonderful. He, he turned around and looked at me and his nose, his, that lip disappeared. And I went, mm, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but I told him, I said, just hang out there for 30 seconds before you get out of the car. Yeah. Because they'll keep the camera on you. <laughs> so, so, you know, just the, the general, you know, competition uh, in NASCAR um, or in auto racing in general, I mean, compare that to uh, the business world. Is it the same? Oh, you, does, does it tap into a different kind of uh, chord with you, or? Well, you know, I've got one. Of, I've got a, one of the things I say is that if you give man long enough, he'll make anything ridiculous. 
and you get men all teamed up in trying to run a car faster. I mean, they do everything, everything possible. You know, in racing, it's not so much in, I don't know if it is. I haven't been on deep on the inside in it. But, you know, racing is the rules are don't get caught. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. kind of, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Because it's, but everybody kind of pushes the envelope and they're looking for gray. Look at where's the gray? Where can I get an advantage? Yeah. And then they can go until they get, stop them. And uh, so that, that part was, uh, has always been an interesting thing to me because it's not like we all try not to do it. The deal is do what you can every way possible till they stop you. Right, right. Which seems like pretty much all of sports are that way. Yeah. yeah. College football and regular football. Yeah. So I'm going to switch gears on you a little bit. So you've also done a lot of work with international missions and in, in caring for immigrants. Um, and you do some work for, with some orphanages in Russia and Africa. How did you get started on that path? You know, it's so funny when you... Uh, when, if you follow the scriptures, you try to follow the scriptures. Let me put it like that. You know, it tells you to, you know, try to help others and be available. And if somebody needs it, you know, and you can provide it, try to do it. And so uh, through the years, I've just tried to pray to be open to possibilities. And then where I can, you know, do it. And things just would come along and there'd be this somebody would you know recommend something or whatever and i went to russia myself uh, a couple times and uh, so like in that on the, which it makes i can't remember why would i do russian immer, i mean uh, orphanages russian orphanages but there was something that took us into it and, uh, and and it was really great, you know, because we made it available to employees that we would match monthly or something. I give my memory, y'all. Remember, I'm 80. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, and so we offered employees. We had employees that pitched in, man, monthly wow. out of their check. And then we did that. And so then they came in and said, hey, we want to go over there. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so we, you know, we had a chaplain department, so we started trying to figure out how to do it. And dadgum, if we didn't go over there and yeah, I met with the, the city people and what was so funny they couldn't figure it out it was really funny they kept trying to figure what's the catch and it was too good we to be were, true in their eyes yeah huh? it was too good to be true in no, their yeah, eyes yeah we met with the mayor and some people in the town where we were and uh, and they finally got it you could tell they finally thought these people really do care about us, and that's why they came over here. Amazing. But prior to that, we'd had problems with the city and the orphanages, and, and uh, yeah, it was that was wild. I think the Willises went to Africa to work at an orphanage. Yeah, yeah, they. I know yeah. they did. Yeah. Which is amazing. I, I talked to another family in our neighborhood. That, you know. Uh, that went over and worked in an orphanage, in, or is it a group for for young so the dad was working with the the younger boys mm -hmm. well yeah. now you remember what you said we try to do here too yeah. i mean it's not like we're going to africa when we're trying to leave people swinging you know in different other places in the u.s and here and locally and all and all that it's it's just a completely different mindset there so the boys that he was working with were very hungry 
because that night they had sent the boy away to do a chore or something because there wasn't enough food to go around. So they wanted to eat the food and sent him away so they could well, have his share. They'd be not our employees. No, no, no. These, these are the, the, the people in the village that they were at. So they were working yeah. with the young kids. So I think it's fantastic that you guys were doing that. So how often do you have to tell people who approach you for, you know, some kind of an idea, um, no? You know, probably fairly often, you know. Because uh, I would imagine there's lots, I mean, you know, the commitment, the No, you know, we, I try, I, we just try to be open. And, and that's uh, tough, I mean, because I'm sure there's a lot of good folks who yeah. come your way who have, you know, good, good hearts, good mission, you know, perhaps even a good plan, but you can't say yes to everything. Right, and there's... There's a, I, I will tell you this story. Now, this, no, this is, I shouldn't say it probably, but I'll, I'll go ahead and tell it. I had this, this guy that's a really strong Christian mentor, and he called me, and I was kind of, uh, I was kind of uh, down, you know, felt overloaded. And so I was told him on the phone, I said, man, I said, just getting these requests all the time, just, you know, that it really bothers me. I mean, it's hard. And, uh, he said the same thing you just said. He said, well, Norm, you can't give to everybody. And then, but there's scripture that says that you can't outgive God, that he can give exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask. That's not the money issue, but mm -hmm. the scripture, but there is a scripture that says that you can't. And I remember that was my thought. My thought was, why not? If, uh, if God, the provider, and he said he wants me to do it. Then, and, uh, but I, I hate to put that on the air. But I, <laughs> no, 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 no. But you so, have to, you, yeah. have, you know. What I, what I, so I do. I have to tell you. I pray for divine discernment, the knowledge of His will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then I try to make a decision and so, go with it. So faith, obviously, has has played an important role in um, interstate batteries. It's played an important role for the work that you've done outside uh, this company as well. So I think it, it would be important if you're okay with it. Can you, can you share with us how, how you turn to faith, um, your, your, your testimony, if you will? Um, and because and, I think, you know, people see the bigger picture now and then, you know, that, that one moment in your life um, obviously was a pivotal moment and changed it forever in yeah, many ways yeah. that you never thought possible. Yeah, no problem. I, uh, I grew up in Galveston. In Galveston, most people don't even have a clue. But Galveston, I even learned this not too long ago. Galveston uh, was, uh, it's an island on the, uh, you know, off of Houston. Yep. And uh, it was controlled by a mafia group, local, primarily out of Louisiana and also, you know, after they moved over here into Galveston. And, I, I've uh, never heard that before. Oh yeah, 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 it was the, it was the uh, actually. Uh, uh, Although so it, it, it makes sense, they'd be from Louisiana. Some Italian guys named Sam and Rose Maceo were for years down there, and I didn't even know this till lately. Found out they didn't even. They, there was never any participation in the prohibition. In Galveston, they just never. <laughs> said, nah, we choose exempt. not to. Just did not play. Exempt. And uh, and so I grew up down there and. 
My dad moved down there in 1943, and I was five years old. And Galveston has liquor by the drink 24 hours a day. And when it was against the state law in Texas to sell liquor over a bar, they had, it was 24 hours when the liquor law was beer only till midnight, no beer on Sunday. And Galveston was 24-7. They just said we'd choose to make uh, our own Galveston laws. had at least four blocks of two- to three-story uh, prostitute. What am I trying brothels. to say? Brothels. Brothels, yeah. yeah. So this would be down like the Strand street. area, if not? Down, no, down Post Office okay. Street. And, uh, and so it was totally accepted. Everybody knew about it. So it was and, the original Sin City. Yeah, and my dad's service station was, you know, like within 10 blocks of this area. And, and so I grew up right in the middle of that. And on top of that, it was legalized gambling. I mean, illegal gambling. There were slot machines in the grocery stores and stuff, and there was bars that opened all night, gambling, you know, casino play, which controlled because the, these families controlled it and all. Well, that's where I grew up. So I started drinking at 14, uh, and I was I was in joints at 16, going into joints and everything. And, and my whole deal was, you know, hey, what's life all about? Kick them up. We're here to have a good time. And uh, I went right on through high school, college, and uh, like I told you about, I was six years in college. And besides, I did take six months out in the service. Go, I went to, in the service Air Force Reserve deal. But anyway, so I left right out of high school. I started having drinking. I actually blacked out in high school. I remember blacking out some and all. And then uh, went up to North Texas, and we stayed, you know, partying all the time. And, and so growing up in Galveston, I couldn't believe, you know, like at North Texas State, the gals had to be in the dormitory at, at 11 o'clock. You're and like, I'm thought, just well, getting going grief, you know? So we didn't hardly hang around. We'd come to Dallas, you know. At least we could go till 12 or 1, you know. But anyway, so I did all that and and, uh, and just pro prog progressed drinking too much. And then when I got to traveling, I got married, and I'm traveling on the road, traveling all over the United States and all. And uh, Kept drinking. And, yeah, drinking, staying up. And So I remember uh, that uh, I got a DWI uh, here in Dallas. And then so I had to – they took my driver's license, and I had to get a driver's license from – I went back to Memphis and got because I'd gone been over there driving a battery truck to begin with, and got a I got a driver's license over there, and uh, it was really funny. I told them that I'd been in England, <laughs> and, they, and so I I re-upped on my driver's license from Tennessee, and I bought my wife a car wholesale in Tennessee, and it had Tennessee tags, and so on top of the one DWI, I get busted on another one. Mm. It uh, Two o'clock in the morning, and I remember on 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 Central, I got busted on Central, and uh, and so I told the, the police, I said, "Hey, give me a break! I just moved here, and I had a Tennessee license and Tennessee tags, and they drove me home. They I, they didn't put me in jail. They drove me home, and uh, and so I got out of that deal." But eventually, I can't remember, but I, I got out of the I, holy, I think I was on probation for a while, but I got my driver's license back and everything. And uh, But on that one, the next morning I woke up and I thought, you're in trouble, man. You've lost control. 
And I remember blurted out, God help me. I never will forget it. God, God help me. I can't handle it. And so I knew about AA. I thought, well, I, I didn't need to do that. So I went to Alcoholic Anonymous for a while, but I didn't even read the book. And uh, within 60 days of all that, this friend started telling me about Christ. So, so is this in the early 70s, yeah, late 60s? This would be 74. 74. Yeah, 74. So this friend of mine started telling me about Christ, and I said, where are you getting all this stuff? And he said, from the, the Bible. I said, old book, old people, long time ago, you know, get out of my face with it. And he said, no, it was the Word of God. I said, the Word of God. He said, yeah, I said, prove it. So I thought I'd run him off, and so he brought me back some some information and materials. So I started, I didn't open the Bible. I started, I started studying about the Bible to see if a person with a intellect could actually embrace it. And I was overwhelmed at the, from, I did, I got into archeology, span antique manuscripts, fulfilled prophecy, prophecy written 600 years before all that. And I thought, wow, there's too much, too much data here. I'm gonna see what this thing says about me. And I came across a scripture in Galatians, and it says the fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, and joy. Now, I didn't, there's more, but I didn't even read. I saw that. I said, peace, love, and joy. That's what I want. If I get peace, love, and joy, I got it. I got life. Circumstances don't matter. Red, yellow, black, white. So I went ahead. Self-control is in there, too. Yeah, yeah. Last, it's the last one. But I didn't even see that one. I just, I looked selfishly at peace, yeah. love, and joy. Hey, I'm in. sign me up. And uh, so I made a decision to receive Christ, started going to church, and, and, uh, and I was real fortunate because the people that I came to Christ through, the uh, ministries called Search Ministries, and their major concern is to lead people to Christ and then help them to grow in the understanding of what it is to be a Christian based on what the Bible says. So I met one-on-one -on -one with a guy weekly for two years and one on three for three years. So I went five years of getting weekly you know, Bible training, if you will, and I, and I also started going to a Bible teaching church. And, and so that was two or three hours a week. And, and uh, so that's been, what's that now? 44 years? 45 years, 44 years. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. And now I, I tell people now if they say, well, you know, how do you, what do you mean you read? I said, well, not only did I read what it said, but I've also trusted it, for, and it's held up for all those years. Yeah. You know? And it, and it, uh, it seems like you're doing a, a great job of fulfilling what it's saying for us to do, of, of giving back, whether or not it's I Am Second or the, the mission work that you're doing. Um, you know, a couple other things as we, as we start to wrap it up is you're also doing work here in Dallas. You, you uh, you founded a private Christian school in South Dallas, and you also work with Bunt. I am I am proud, founded a private Christian school. All right, my dad is wrong. I apologize. Yeah. But you work with Bonton Farms. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now we're and we're trying. I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to do that. that's what it is. You're trying to. We're found in the a, middle of trying to do the school. We're just it's amazing the, the difficulties it is to establish something like that. Yeah. To get it with going, the property and the school and the, and the community reception, but we're uh, we are in the midst of really working on that. And that Bonton Farms thing is wonderful. That guy, I love that group, Brian 
Is it Brian Babcock? No. Gosh, my brain. It's been a while since. Darren. Darren. Darren Babcock. He is the real deal. He lives down there, moved down there, and is uh, in right in the middle of all of it. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's a great organization. Uh, and also, tell us a little bit about Race Across America. Yeah. Oh, that was the more fun thing, man. Uh, let me try to remember now how I got into that. How long ago, how long ago did that start? Started three, right? In 80... 1983, I believe. Yeah, 83, because we ended up... Our last deal was 96. But... Uh, oh, I had... This was the whole thing. I had a friend that uh, came to me about wanting to be a sponsor. And uh, and so I thought, got to thinking about that thing, you know, and I said, now, what do you tell me? It's going to be a cross-country race for cars 1942 and back and I thought a gumball rally for old cars yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and so I thought man that you know that would be a good thing for interstate and uh, and so it was going to end up the way they had it planned it was going to end up in Indianapolis on Saturday or Friday night but anyway end up Friday night yeah before the Indy 500? The, the Indy 500, and I thought, hmm, that thing end up in there, old cars, they love cars, media, where will the media be, automotive media be, be in Indianapolis, we get there Friday night, they're all there, this might be a good deal. And so uh, he wanted me, that's what he wanted, he heard about, the people were going to run it and, uh, and do it, and so he wanted me to sponsor him in the car. And so I remember we thought about it, we said, you know, we need to, sponsoring in the race well the people he got with another guy and to and bought it out from the people that were going to do it and so uh and we said well we want to we want to we want to don't do to do a car we want to do the race so just well what what was the race for i mean i know in, in antique yeah. cars it was a road it's a but, but how long how what do you you know it's it was two weeks long. Okay. Went from, we went from Cali first race. We went from California to the Indy 500 like on Friday night. We started out in uh, one of the parks out there, Universal City. Would that? Yeah. Have a yeah. Park? Yeah. 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 I think, I think that's right. Anyway, and uh, and it was just is amazing. So I didn't know a whole lot about old cars, or I wasn't an old car fan and all. But we had a battery convention or some kind of meeting in Vegas, but right before, like two months before. And so I went to, uh, the, you know, there's a casino out there that has a museum in the basement, like a real nice museum, uh, automotive car museum. So I went down in there in the, in the afternoon. It was fine. I was wandering through there by myself, and I thought, my gosh, look at these cars. And some of them, you know, back in the day were handmade almost. And I, so I got really pumped up, and I thought, well, we won't get any cars like this in our race. And uh, so we, I go out to California before we're going to start the race, and I get there. You know, it's, it's dark. I'm sorry. It went dark, you know, late, mm -hmm. but, they, but it's uh, different than Dallas. So I wake up the next morning on Dallas time, and I go out to where their platform are, you know, setting up all the cars. And they start unwrapping them, man. And we had cars as nice as that were in that museum. Wow. And I thought, you're kidding me. That's these great. people are going to run these cars all the way, 
you know, to so so what what was what was the uh, initial like? I'm assuming that there was a, a cash prize for yeah, whoever we won. Up, we put up a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar winner deal. Winner take all. And so and so and put it in the bank. We put it in the bank so that the people would know that you were the serious money was there. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was Irving. Somebody had. I think we put the money in Irving Bank that had it set up. And uh, and and what I mean the rules. I mean you, it was just basically get there any any way you can. Or did you have to drive the speed limit? I mean, is this is this kind of yeah. Burt Reynolds and Sally Field and Cannonball Run, but in an old you know? Yeah, it was number one. You couldn't have a speedometer. Okay. I think or something. You know, I got to think back, but because I hadn't thought about this, but it had four legs. So you had one in the morning, one up till noon, one in the afternoon, one to the other. It was perfectly timed to the second. Okay. We had cameras that with a clock that clocked you in and out, and you were to be perfect. Okay. And you couldn't. There's. Um, um, I said a speedometer. No, the, you had to have a speed. You mean there, you there, couldn't have there was something we couldn't have. Maybe G you couldn't have a stop. Apple Maps. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, you know, that would have been bad. <laughs> you would have been rerouted about a hundred times. We, we had cameras that when you crossed the line with the clock, yeah, yeah, you by so, the seconds. Yeah, wow. and we had people out there with them. You know, wow. all across the country, we set the whole thing up. So, did and, you ever uh, ride in the cars? Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. rode in the. I went across the United States. I think I want to say eight times. In one of those old cars? Coast to coast. Well, not sometimes, but we got car sponsors. We had, you know, like Ford gave us cars. I think we ended up with, sometimes we had Chevrolet cars. And uh, and I got, I flew one time half half a day. I got, flew in a helicopter that followed them. It was, I mean, it was an adventure. Oh, I bet. It was really fun. And we ended up going all, we did like from then till, uh, Till, let's see, what was that? What did you say? 83. 83. We ended up in 96, but we ran the thing. I'll never forget. I don't think anybody's. I have never. You ever know of any event that included the entire North America? No, that's fantastic. We started in Canada, went to Washington, D.C., and end up in Mexico City so, <laughs> on, on one of the competitions. So you, you commented earlier that, that you Interstate Batteries was a green company before green companies became, you know, you know, a focus for folks, but right. you you may have been Fast and Furious before that that movie franchise <laughs> came out. But as I well, we could follow up like, like they did. Yeah. yeah. Well, Norm, thank you so much for joining us. I, I think you just said that that was an adventure, and it sounds like your life and and what you've done has been a, a great adventure, and you've given no back a lot to this community and several other communities. So, thank you for your service. And uh, again, thanks for being with us today. Really appreciate well, thank, it. Thank thanks you for having me. It's been, uh, I've had fun. Good. We told you you would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trust but verify, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you, guys.